The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. When it comes to clothes, especially men's clothes, most of us, at least here in the States, are thinking more about comfort and style. I mean, we want to look good, but it's not really about making a statement. So that's why when I see a man who is dressed to the nines in a suit that's tailored to his body, I can't help but be impressed and want to make a photograph of him. Rose Callahan has made a career of photographing men for whom style is a passion and sometimes even an obsession. With her popular blog, The Dandy Portraits, and her latest book, We Are Dandy, she beautifully explores the world of the dandy, men for whom clothes is not just about what they look like, but who they are. The book is an amazing collection of photographs and interviews with dandies from various parts of the world and is one of my favorite photo books for the year. And hopefully, this interview will not only inspire your photography, but also make you consider wearing something other than a t-shirt the next time you go out to shoot. Welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm really excited to, to, to have you. I got turned on to your work by Jesse Thorne uh, while I was working at, at the Maximum Fun. I, I love the book. Oh, thank you. I have to say, I think it's one of my favorite books of the year. Oh, wow, cool. It's really, really nice. Uh, uh, the, I know you've seen a lot, so. Yeah, and and the pa- first off, is, I'm going to say something my dad would appreciate is that the paper is such mm. good paper. Mm, as soon as I opened up the book and I started turning the pages, I was just like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. Nice paper. And the photographs just look just phenomenal. So I just wanted to lead off by complimenting you on wow. just a, a, a great, a great so project. Yeah, the, the publisher, you know, they do a really beautiful job with the printing. Uh, the first one also was, it's a different type of paper, but uh-huh. yeah, it's hard to know until you see it, you know, so thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. So your, your book is titled, We Are Dandy. And I know it's a question that you're often asked, but I think it's important to sort of launch with this so people can have, have an understanding of what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. what is a dandy? Okay. Well, I think that uh, people can can kind of define it in, in different ways. Sometimes people define it in, in terms of hi- the historical idea of a dandy, which might have been like Bo Brummel or, or Oscar Wilde or something. Um, but for me, my idea of a dandy is, is kind of a, a broader idea, which is a, a man who is obsessed with elegance. And it doesn't just have to do with dressing. It kind of it's a it's an aesthetic life. It's it's um, the way that they create their environment or their lifestyle, essentially. How did you get introduced to this this world? Because you started a blog several years back, way before you you published this this book. So how did you gain an entry into this? Why and why did it pique your interest? Well, actually, it's I started the first portrait in the series in 2008. And I started out doing it just as an, a personal project in, um, just for, to, to do something fun apart from work that I was doing. So I'm a commercial photographer. So, you know, I'm always looking for ways to just have fun with photography and, and do something that's just interesting artistically. So I've always done projects that were on different subcultures and just kind of related with style and character. The way that this particular project happened, which was fairly slowly, was that my husband was interested in finding a suit. And so he was researching places to get a custom suit and he came across a place called Lord Willie's and they had pictures of all their customers. And one of the customers was the first person I ended up shooting. His name is Lord Whimsy. And so 
I saw him and I thought, oh, he just looks like a great person. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to do this. So I looked him up. He's in New Jersey. And it ended up that we just went down, and me and Kelly, and we just, uh, I did the first shoot. I didn't know it was going to become a, a long-term project like this, but it was interesting. And I thought, I, I saw that there was something different happening with this subject matter that I hadn't really run into before because I had photographed, you know, like, I did a whole series on rockabilly and, um, you know, and when I first came to New York in early 2000s, I did a lot of burlesque people and, um, but this was different because it was, it, it didn't seem to be as easy to define. And so I, I kind of like the, the mystery of it got me interested. And so I photographed Lord, Lord Whimsy and then it actually was a whole year before I photographed a second person. And then I started to see connections between people and I saw that there was actually a, a real kind of diversity within the people that were expressing this, this, this like need for elegance and mm. in their own vision. I just started like researching and going after more people and then it, it built up and I started the blog. What you just said is really interesting about this. I, the idea that dandyism is not easy to define because mm. these people are doing it not for a singular reason. You know, each of them comes to it from, uh, from a different path. They have different, you know, thinking about why they dress the way they do. And there's not, mm -hmm. li and there's not one singular uniform that everyone wears. You know, it's, it, it's pretty wide in terms of the variety that you, you've yeah, documented. And, and I, I realize that that's actually a very, specific thing that I've tried to bring out about it because I think you could do a book or a project just on men that wear vintage clothes mm -hmm. that look dandy or just men that only wear handmade clothes that look dandy or you could you know there's even like cosplay people that are dandy but I really wanted I, I like when it's it's like you see the variety but then you make the connections between them which is really the state of mind or the sensibility of wanting to create your own world and, and, you know, have your own vision of excellence. So what did you um, discover? What did you learn about, about, you know, this whole phenomena that you were just didn't know about, you know, after your, your initial shots, what were those first things that you discovered that sort of fired your synapses and said, Oh God, this is much more than I anticipated. <laughs> I think it was when I photographed the second guy, he was in San Francisco. He was so different than the first person that I had photographed. I saw that when I walked down the street with him, everybody looked at him, mm. but didn't know what to think. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were just like dumbfounded. It wasn't even like, oh, you're a this or you're a that or something. They were just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it was... That, and I liked that. I thought I thought that was so interesting that that they could in this day and age when everything is so you know everybody has a name for something or, or it's it gets very defined like oh that that guy's a hipster or that guy's mm, a whatever right. and everybody you know has these ways of defining people and stereotypes that this guy could actually surprise people on the mm. street was. Real, I like that a lot. You know, I think uh, what I really, one of the things I really appreciate uh, about the book is like in a world where sort of beauty is, is defined commercially, you know, you see all these beautiful people in, on television and magazines and everyone has to look like a model or an actor. Mm -hmm. And I love how these men look beautiful, even though they aren't sort of the, what, what are traditionally defined as beautiful, but they transform themselves and they make themselves into just visual candy mm. uh, not mm. only for you but for just like you said for anybody walking down the street you can't help but but notice a person who is just dressed so amazingly yeah they yeah they don't have to fit into this typical like model look or anything mm. like that um yeah you're right in a lot of different ages you know there's a lot of older men that look fantastic yeah you know, and you wouldn't like, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a way, yeah, that they create themselves as, as, yeah, they create that beauty. Yeah. You know, one of the things in your book is that you're not just isolating your exploration of dandyism to just one city, not just New York. You, mm -hmm. you travel to different, different countries. What 
What did you discover in terms of how dandyism is personalized when you went to Johannesburg or where you were in in Europe? Can you tell us a, a little bit about some of the discoveries you made as a result of that? Yeah, well, for this book, we wanted to, me and Nat, Nathaniel Adams, the writer, wanted to explore how this, you know, sensibility for dandyism is expressed in other parts of the world because we, after the first book, I'm Dandy, we started to see, you know, there's this big diversity in people that are dandy because it's, it kind of crosses cultures and, and a lot of different kind of demographics because it's a sensibility. It's not really just dependent on uh, like a subculture or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, we went back to Europe. We went to some other parts in Europe that we didn't uh, visit before, like Italy, Germany, Belgium. And then we went to Johannesburg and we went to Tokyo. And so what we found was that it's both kind of defined by your what you grew up with in your local culture, but it's also now because of the internet, of course, you have these global influences. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, I found that they were much it, they really took a lot from from Japanese traditional culture and incorporated it into how they express like their their style these guys. So for instance, a lot of uh, this came up a few times is that the samurai was actually is like kind of a dandy character because they completely care about how they were presenting themselves to the world. You know, they even had like they would dress and prepare for death in battle and make themselves look and smell the best because they knew if they died, they, this is how they would want to present themselves to their, to whoever they died in front of or whoever mm-hmm. killed them as the, the best version of themselves. Um, and so, and then in South Africa, I s- definitely saw a connection with a lot of the dandies to wanting to express South African culture and Africa in general as a part of how, how they dressed. So they, they, you know, they like the suits, you know, the trappings of dandy, which is, is kind of cla- classic tailoring, but they also wanted to, to show that they were African. That was like a very, very important part of it. You know, one of the things that I think people perceive about people who dress this way is, is it their vein? That, that vanity plays a big role, and I'm sure that it does. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, to, to what extent did you find that that was a, a big catalyst in terms of what inspired these people? And if it was something else, what what did you discover that to be? Yeah, vanity. It's a big part of it. I think that. I mean, to me, just it doesn't bother me. It, it, I don't know why, but it doesn't really bother me when I, when someone is vain. It's almost kind of endearing in a way that they care so much and like they, they are interested in all these things to create themselves. Um, for me, what I don't like is when someone does holds back from, like isn't generous with how they want to, uh, like as a photographer, if somebody's not generous with wanting to just like, let me into their lives and, and, and mm-hmm. let me photograph them. But um, the vanity doesn't bother me so much. But, but I think, you know, there's good and bad things about vanity. Vanity can be very negative, but vanity can always also be positive because if you're creating, you know, if you're creating your the way you present yourself to the world and if people, if that changes how you are in the world and, and, you know, changes the expectations people have about you and raises you up, then that's not bad. It also, I think a lot of the men have, in the book, have mentioned that it's a way for them to respect other people is to care about themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you know, it's like a double-edged sword. I mean, yes, like, we live in a very vain time. And, you know, a lot of... I do think, you know, a lot of the people in the book and that I photographed they see the opportunity that it's promoting themselves, you know, so that's a vain endeavor, but Hey, um, I don't think that vanity is necessarily bad. I know that sounds strange, but, uh, (laughs) if you can go for the positive aspects of vanity, it's not bad. You know, one of the things I immediately thought about is like, 
I wonder about these people's partners, whether they're gay or straight and they're living with someone. Could they actually live with someone who was so meticulous about their dress or do they have to basically live with a normie? What what did you discover? (laughs) Well, yeah, there's there there's definitely a lot of uh, the partners, uh, you know, gay or straight that that like don't get a lot of the closet share. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have like you know huge parts of the closet and then their their partner will have like this much or something uh-huh. i think the partners kind of come to terms with it i think sometimes they enjoy it sometimes there's partners that like enjoy dressing too i don't think that if somebody didn't like it i think it would be very hard to be with a person like this yeah that would be i mean i can't imagine that if you didn't enjoy it but <laughs> Oh, I well, I, I appreciate it because my, my wife loves her clothes and she definitely loves her shoes. Mm. And I mm-hmm. don't have any space in the closet in the bedroom. My closet is 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 in my office. And it's a very relegated, relegated to a very small space. So when I saw some of the photographs with, uh, there's this one shot where I saw with this guy's shoes, the shelf of shoes. And I was just oh, like, yeah. oh, my, oh, my God, he must be related well, to my wife. <laughs> But but that's one of the things I really liked about the book is that uh-huh. your environmental portraits are just just beautiful. I mean, it's just fantastic. But it was also the fact that you were including other elements of their lives, particularly the aesthetics of their homes and small little mm-hmm. details. Um, from from the beginning, did you know that that was going to be a a part of what you wanted to do or did, how did it, that evolve in terms of yeah? When I first started doing the portraits. Um, I did start to do pictures that were more on the street. And then I realized, wow, that's not really interesting to me because it's not street style. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the sartorialists and there's all these, those, those kind of things out there and blogs and street t- style, style blogs and information. But what I realized pretty early on was it's much more interesting when I see their environment because you just get so much more richness and details and stories. Um, so yeah, for, that was definitely a very specific choice. And, um, and then when we were going into this second book, it was, it was always the first choice to be able to photograph somebody in their home or a very, very rich personal environment. I mean, if it wasn't where they lived, somewhere where we'd get that story to go along with, with their personality. So that's, I just love that. I love, and some of the interiors are just so incredibly fabulous. I just love them. Oh yeah. Cause it just seems like, it, it seems like the space fit the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it's, it really is like I think it starts with clothes for a lot yeah. of these people it starts with kind of in, being interested in that. And then it just like undoubtedly spreads out into an environment. I don't think I don't think they can help it really, you know, but just looking through the book, I, I felt like God, I can't even leave the house now. <laughs> I just look at I just look at the way I, I dress. And, I, you know, it's it's I think at least here in the States, there, there's just thing i don't know what the name of it is the only thing i could come up is like functional fashion you Mm -hmm. know where it's just stuff that sort of serves a purpose that it really isn't geared to serve an aesthetic but i i I was wondering how your own sense of fashion Mm -hmm. changed as a result of focusing on these subjects for as long as you have yeah i have always really loved dressing up and um loved vintage clothes and i always tried to make my life more glamorous than I like had access to or something. I grew up in a small town. So I, I, I kind of like feel like I know maybe a little bit of what they're trying to go after, you know, trying to make like life more romantic or, or glamorous or elegant or something. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason why I was attracted to the subject in general. Um, but definitely I've been influenced by, the dandies for sure. I wear much more tailoring now and kind of like a, a my version of a, of like a dandy look, mm-hmm. w- which is a little more tailored and, and, um, 
and I, you know, sometimes I feel like, oh, I feel too masculine now. I have to like wear dresses and stuff again. But um, I, I, for sure, and it's not just in style, but they're just knowing all of them, becoming friends with a lot of the subjects, they've influenced me in a huge way. And it's, it, it's almost impossible not to be inspired by them, I think. Um, and that's what I really hope with project in the books is that you might not want to dress like them, but it's an inspiration as to like, you know, they're kind of the most extreme of this type of dressing, yeah. you know, but they can, I think that idea of like just having fun with, with clothes and, and aesthetics that that idea can be inspirational to you. It's, 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 you know, you might want to go, not go that far, but but uh, yeah, I guess it's just an inspiration. How, how easy was it to gain access to the people that you photographed? And once you once you were able to make contact, can you tell us about you know uh, what the process was in terms of getting access to their apartment, for example, and how long you would spend with them in order to get your photographs? Yeah, so different people you know give you more access than others. For instance, you know if it, if the person's not famous, then I think they're probably more apt to just like, yes, come in, do whatever you want. Um, there was a few people that are, you know, like Hamish Bowles was in the first book. He was the last person that I photographed for that because he's very high profile. And, um, it took a really long time of like me emailing him, then a friend of his emailing him and then over months, more emails and emails and, and stuff to try to get this like, okay, we'll do it. You know, and this, and then finally, this is the day we go in there. And and I, for the second book, it was a little easier because I think people saw the first one and they were like, "Oh yes, I love what you're doing. Let's do it." You know that it builds. You know, when you have a body of work, people see it and they they respond to it and they're they want to be involved. There was another person in this book, um, Barnaba Fornasetti, who is. It also took many many emails to get access and, you know, it's mm -hmm. so sometimes you get put through the ringer. But, um, I think once in terms, like once people say yes, and they know what I've done in the past in terms of going to people's houses and, and, and they, I think they can see that, that I am interested in celebrating people and, you know, making them look good. Um, that they're usually open to letting letting me inside yeah. of their personal space. And then so when I go there, it takes, I mean, usually about two hours, but sometimes more. It depends on like how many we do like different clothing changes. Mm -hmm. and um, As I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there's like, I've gotten worn out. One time we did this shoot and the guy brought, it was at his, his studio. He brought five or six or seven outfit changes. And I just, I actually got tired. I couldn't, wow. I couldn't do anymore, but, um, it's usually a few, you know, couple. And, um, and then, so I work with the writer Nathaniel. And so he interviews them kind of at the same time. We kind of bounce back and forth. And the way I like to shoot is I'm, I like to shoot very journalistically and move around a lot. Um, I have very minimal lighting if I need it, or I'll use daylight. And um, I just like to keep people moving um, and kind of so that they're not too aware of themselves. And then I usually will pick a spot that I like for like a more of a formal portrait. But I just like, I like to see how they move and to, to see, you know, what they're going to show us and and then I'll like pick out little details or do the environment or, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, how it goes. But I have spent like four or five, six hours with people too. Yeah. Cause I was, I would look through these photographs and it seems like I was imagining like a, a puzzle where you have the person and then you just kind of fit them into the space. And it seems like everything just kind of fit perfectly. Uh -huh. And I would just look at the entire frame because there was so much stuff there. and <laughs> But it's like it, it, everything sort of served everything else. 
Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, I, and I, one of the challenges when you're doing an environmental portrait is that you can have stuff in the frame that ends up being distracting, that can end up being problematic and sort of takes away from some from your subject. And with subjects like these, it can be so easy to focus so much on the subject that you're not paying attention to those details. So tell me about your con, you know, your, your thought process in terms of building building the frame because you had so much to work with, but you know, you have to be careful about what you include and what you exclude. Oh my God. To be honest, it's, I totally am intuitive. I, I work really quickly. So it, it just really, that stuff actually happens pretty spontaneously. I know it's, it's strange, but sometimes I'll, most of the time when I go there, to an environment, I just start shooting really quickly and I do all kinds of details and I'll take pictures, whatever is catching my eye. And almost like I can't even see it at the time because it's, there's so many details in these places, you know, shoes and fabrics. And so I go in there and start shooting. And then when I go edit, sometimes I, I can actually like sit and see what was actually there because It's kind of amazing. There's so many details that it's very hard to actually take it all in at the time. So I just react to visually what I'm seeing, you know, like in terms of uh, what's pleasing for, for uh, um, a composition or, um, or reacting just to the person, how they move and, and they're kind of emotionally what they're looking like. But the, the, the portraits in the environment are very spontaneous. I, I actually don't compose them very much at all in terms of, in terms of like, I don't sit there for very long and say, Oh, this thing should be moved or something. I, I don't hardly ever move anything in their space unless maybe there's something in the way in the front. I'll move that. Mm-hmm. But I just try to get, I, I'm always a, more paying attention to what someone looks like with their relaxed or their, their face and their right body language and stuff and then it kind of whatever feels right for where they are and then if the lighting looks good then I'm usually good (laughs) I think that makes a huge difference if you if the lighting's not pleasing it's it's hard it's hard for me to be satisfied with with it one other thing about about portrait that the sort of the social dynamic is the fact that the subject is usually sort of surrendering control to the photographer. But mm-hmm. I have no doubt that some of these people have very big personalities where surrendering is not part of their agenda. No. So, you know, when you have to contend with someone who really sort of wants to dominate the process, okay. yeah. you know, how do you sort of diplomatically sort of handle that so that it's your shot and it's not their shot? That is so hard. That is really, really hard. I think the majority of people are very generous and let you take over, but there are, you know, people that do that and really want to control. And I totally get it. Cause I would actually maybe be the same way if someone was taking my picture. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there was a shoot that I did for the first book of this guy in Brighton in the UK. And so we went all the way just especially to do his picture. You know, we're in London, but there's like, it takes like an hour to get down there on the train. So we go there, go up to his place. It's this little teeny like Garrett apartment. Just, everything's kind of, the bed's broken. Like it's just one little room. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's like, a, it's beautiful. There's all these antiques and stuff, but he is so controlling about, he want, he doesn't want me to show his like, the bed or the sink over here or something. He's like, we can only shoot in this corner. Mm. And, and he starts kind of putting like arranging things and, and it's totally not my way of, of operating at all, you know? And I just thought, Oh man, he's not going to do this. Like he, he's, he really is not going to let me like do the picture that I want to do or, or work in the way I want to work. It was really frustrating And he also wanted to look at every picture when we were taking it, which is not Mm -hmm. what I like to do at all. I don't think anybody likes to do that. And I just said, okay, I'm just going to let him do it because this would be like, it would be like fighting against, you know, nature or something. So I just let him do it. And I went there and I think I took 35 frames, which is so unusual. I mean, usually, you know, click, 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 click. There's, I do a lot of shooting. But, you know, he was there. He had a really specific idea and he wanted to 
have everything look a certain way and be presented a certain way. And in the end, actually, it's one of my favorite pictures, and I have it hanging in my hmm. kitchen. I love it. It is the shot, but it is not at all how I would have gone about doing it. And it was very frustrating to have someone be so controlling. It's not, I don't like that at all, but I just had to, you know, let it go. And I would not have expected you to say that that's one of your favorite shots. Yeah, but do, do you think that the amazing restrictions that he put upon you helped you to sort of draw something that you might not have otherwise have gotten? Or is it just that aesthetically, it's just, you just like? Um, I don't think in this case, it was the restrictions that in that particular instance that, that helped me get the shot that I liked. I think it, it was just a, well, for me, he's, he's really extraordinary and, and he's a great subject. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish that we could have done more. Um, and I probably could have gotten a lot more cool shots, but, um, it is, it is just, uh, it's, yeah, I think, I think it's mostly owed to, to who he is, but in other instances, sometimes it is nice to have restrictions. Sometimes I go into a place and there's, it's so huge and vast and, and, um, that I could wear myself out, you know, if, if I don't have like, say a time limit yeah. or something that is just like, it would just be on and on and on. You could probably do a whole book on some of these places and people. So you have, you've had the blog. Uh, and you're on Instagram. So social networking has been an important part of your work, especially with this with this project. And mm -hmm. how important has it been in terms of you being able not only to sort of gain access, but to leverage that attention into the book? Oh, I mean, it's, it's very, very important. I believe the reason that the publisher contacted me was because they saw the blog. It had it, the visibility that it gave was, I mean, it was the reason why it all happened pretty much. An interesting thing is though that, so, you know, you have this social media and you have the blogs and stuff and, and that's like a way for, for, for people to see it and for it to grow an audience say, and to, to have a place on to live where people can see it over time. But then when the book happened, when I'm Dandy happened, it was just, it became something else. And, and to have it, and I didn't anticipate that at all because when it became an actual book, it first off just had a whole different audience of people. And of course it, it gave it like a, you know, a seal of approval. Like now, right. okay, it's not just, a, it's not just a blog, something online. It's like, this is a book. It became like for the ages or something. <laughs> Um, so that was really interesting to see how different mediums and different formats have an effect on on a body of work. Um, now, like since it's printed, it's you know it's legitimized and it just it just yeah becomes something very different. Also, just the amount of pictures you can look at online at any any given time. Like you could probably sit there and not even notice it and you've just looked at a thousand pictures. But then to have the physical book, which is, you know, this one's like 300 pages and to look through that many, it just makes them, it gives them more weight physically and, and, and mentally sub, you know, gives them substance. It's just, mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating how the, it changes it. And then to think about like doing, you know, something like film gives it a whole other aspect if you, if you do that. Well, you, you, uh, your partner in this book is, is Nathaniel. And mm -hmm. tell us, tell us a story about how you guys sort of came together because you guys were basically working in parallel, parallel with each other on the yeah. similar subject before you guys actually came together to produce the book. Yeah, I think it was when I first started the actual blog, the Dandy Portraits, because before I had just posted them on my regular photography blog. So when I started the Dandy Portraits, Nathaniel had just finished a big trip. He went to Europe, he went to the Congo, um, and some other places researching for a, a book proposal that he had gotten a grant for about dandyism. And um, so uh, you know, he's, a, he's a trained journalist. He, I think Columbia is where he went to journalism school. And um, so, so he was doing this book that was about history of dandyism. So it was all literary. He had no, no photos. Um, and so 
so he contacted me because probably he had come back home and started researching uh, stuff about dandyism and he, and he came across me and so we ended up meeting and um, finding out about our projects and I was so happy that he didn't have any photos <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he was happy that you know I didn't enjoy writing very much. And so we, we kind of just got to be friends. We, we were both a little protective of our projects mm-hmm. at the beginning, even though we were doing different stuff, still wanted to, you know, we, we, we both had our little babies. And so it took us a, a pretty good amount of time just becoming friends and doing smaller things together. We did some, some uh, commercial, you know, like did some editorials together and, you know, so we had to first kind of feel each other out. And then we realized, okay, I think this could work as a partnership. And when the first book happened, I brought him in and thought it would be a good collaboration to do the writing plus the images, which I, I really think is a good thing. It's interesting, you know, collaborating with people, there's like, it's positive and negatives, but I think it's actually, I think it's much more powerful in general, and especially personally, I think it's more powerful to collaborate with people. And I think, um, and I love Natty's writing. I think it's just, I just, it's so fun to read and it adds a lot to the photos. I think it's interesting when you start to, because of his writing, I start to see what photography can do and what it can't do. Um, photography makes you makes them icons, you know, makes people iconic and kind of far away because mm-hmm. you look at them and you wonder, oh, wow, wow, where did they get this suit and um, w- what's their deal? Or sometimes you can look at them and go, God, they look like such jerks or something. Um, but the writing, what that does is it really does give you insight into so much more about their personality um, where, you know, where they got the idea to dress, like what their histories are, um, just quirks of their personality, humor. And it, so it's, I think it's, I like how it adds to the pictures a lot. Um, you know, producing a book can be a roller coaster ride, mm-hmm. you know, because especially because it, it takes so long to mm-hmm. put it, put it together. So how was having uh, a, a partner sort of shape, shape the way you looked at your photographs over time? as compared to as if you had done all of this by yourself? Hmm. The first, the first book was a lot where most of the shoots I just did myself. So it was just me or me and Kelly were there. And the second book was, he was on every shoot with me. Also, Kelly was there filming. He did Mm. uh, video for everything. So it, it did change the whole process a lot. I also was thinking specifically that these photos would be in a book this time, whereas before it was just, we just did a photo, I just did a photo shoot and it wasn't that there was a a final purpose for it. So it definitely changed it. I'm not sure. I, I think, I don't think that's, it's probably not in a good way though. In terms of, I did think about that they would, the photos would be in a book this time. So I think I was a, maybe, it's like a more limiting idea when you mm-hmm. go in to a shoot. Also, since I have done the project for so long, they, you know, they, you start to like, there's like repetition that happens, right. which is not very satisfying. Like if you start to kind of see, oh, I'm doing that picture again, or, oh, okay. um, you know, like oh, I've seen that <laughs> or, you know, environments like, oh, this kind of environment again, that's, you know, that's, that's frustrating. And it, it just makes you, it makes me want to try to do different things or try to think about things in a different way. But, and it's hard, I think when you've done something for so long, like I do think about like, how do I want to light things different or how do I want to approach people differently or broaden whatever topic I'm doing, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting that you speak of that because when you have the opportunity to really look critically at your own work, especially over time, you can really see your your evolution, how things sort of change. And, and one of the things that you just noted about sealing, seeing the, and recognizing the sort of traps you fall back into just because it's kind of, it's just kind of, it's really easy to do it because it's just like, this works, right? Yeah. 
So when you encountered such such moments, what were some of the choices that you started to make? I mean, you mentioned stuff about lighting, but can you be a little more specific in terms of how you would try to sort of shake things up so that those pictures didn't look like they were carbon copies of of the stuff that you'd done before? Mm, I think what I there's a couple things Um, I tried Whenever I feel like I'm falling into a trap or I'm feeling like I'm not being, you know, I, I'm just kind of going through the motions or something, I just feel like I always have to come back to what's what's the most authentic and um, personal. Hmm. So I would just try to make them do things. Like, I think movement and getting somebody to, to so I can see gestures and, and get – because it's, it's easy for me to fall back on like a static, like stand here yeah, for the uh-huh. portrait, you know? So I think trying to just, just go back to being the most intimate and the most personal that I can be with somebody and, and, you know, seeing these gestures and, and, um, directing them to do things, you know, like in a natural way, not like do, do stupid things or something, but like actual, like real activities is, is a way that I try to just find what's interesting. Cause I, I, I tend to like to discover things, discover images rather than to create and to fabricate images in, in terms of, you know, there's people that, that love to, like David LaChapelle or something, you know, you're creating this whole world and it's very, very composed and stuff. What I like is the more journalistic way of, of like you are reacting and to a visual thing that's happening or, or uh, an actual event or um, finding the beauty in something that you're seeing. These are people that are used to looking in a mirror yeah. and seeing themselves and they're very conscious of their appearance and I suspect that a good number of them are adept posers, right? So I would think that that is probably one of the most difficult things to have to surmount with a lot of these people because they have, they not only know how they look good in the outfits that they are, but also in terms of body position, hand, hand placement, all that stuff. So I... Tell me about how you sort of get past that to get into sort of the flow and the movement that you want to elicit for your photograph. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so hard because I'm doing people that, yeah, the the posing, that's really hard. That's (laughs) that's why actually I think people that are not very, like not as famous, quote unquote, or or people that aren't as used to having their picture taken are a little easier actually in a way to take pictures of to get something interesting because, yeah, they're not as like, they don't, they're not as aware of how they're going to look or something. Um, I, 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 again, I like to just get people moving. If I see someone starting to be really static or, or feeling uncomfortable or too self-conscious, I just move them. I just go somewhere else or, and I, and I do give people a lot of feedback when I'm photographing. So if, if I think it looks good, I'll tell them or, I always tell people just kind of keep on breathing and to just relax, you know, instead of like, you can see like those minute details, right. In photographs when someone's holding their breath or their shoulders or something. And I was just, Try to—it's just really getting people to feel more relaxed. I I just think of it—it's just such a challenge because guys are stiff, even if they're really well dressed. They—they tend to be stiff when in front of the camera. With a with a woman, you can tell her spin, spin around, twirl a dress. You can you can sort of trick them or solicit some movement to get that. But with a guy, you can't tell them. Can you do a little twirl for me? Yeah, yeah. I I think um you know because I'm a woman, I think that's a big deal. Depending, it doesn't matter their orientation really. I think, I think they're probably willing to be more relaxed or do silly things for me because I'm a woman. <laughs> give, give me an example. Give me an example of you of you asking a subject to do a, a silly thing and, and getting something out of them. Oh God! <laughs> oh, I, I I can't remember something. Oh uh, yeah, no, I I, j- I can't bring to mind something okay. at the moment. But yeah, they usually you know I'll. I'll ask. I'll try to make them do something silly, and I don't even care if I if if it if I am embarrassing myself because 
I'd rather them laugh at me <laughs> and do something interesting or different yeah. than, you know, I don't mind making myself look stupid sometimes. That's good. <laughs> and I think it's important that because, you know, if, if you're relaxed and you're having fun, that, that releases the subject to do the same. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, how this work has sort of helped you in terms of your commercial work, mm -hmm. you know, what, what opportunities has this opened up for you? Yeah, a lot, actually. Um, one project I started doing pretty soon after the first book was a blog with the Metropolitan Opera, which is um, a style blog that they started. And that was a, it started out as an advertising job through an agency that they worked with. And they hired me to be the photographer for this, this blog, which is about the audience members of the opera. So, you know, they were interested, the Metropolitan Opera was interested in getting young people involved okay. with the opera and, and also just kind of promoting the idea that it's a night out or that it's, it's something that you can dress up to because, you know, now there's a reputation that the opera, people don't dress up and people don't dress up for most things anymore. Like you were saying, you know, very like the way we dress is for comfort, mm -hmm. very casual, you know, like even for the opera, you're, you're not gonna, it's, it's actually, you know, you could go there with jeans or, or, or a t-shirt, but they didn't, they want to promote it as being something that's more of a, an occasion. So, um, they hired me to do this and I've done it for four seasons and it's just really fun. It's, um, I go there for like a half an hour before the show starts. And then during the first intermission, I just, I work with an assistant who does paperwork, like the model releases and stuff. And I just find people that I think are dressed interestingly. And it's not just people in ball gowns or, you know, your typical opera goer, like Upper East Side rich person that I want to show a huge variety. So I'm looking for people of all different ages and ethnicities and, and also just personal style. So what I realized after, you know, doing this is that I, th I really love the idea of style and portraiture combining. And it wasn't something I always thought, thought of those things as very separate. But now that, that the, the dandy project has really solidified and the, you know, the books are there and then doing the, the Met, um, it's called last night at the Met actually. So, and, and doing that, I start to see that, that, okay, this is really like an ongoing theme that's for my work is that you've got style and portraiture combining and, I see now that it's always been there, but I was not okay with it being, being kind of together. Mm -hmm. I, I thought of them as separate, like I said. So it, that's been an interesting development um, and, and a cool like commercial project to work on that's come out of this work. That's a nice discovery to find out about your own work. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, you know, I always loved documentary work and I always loved, uh, very formal portraiture and those were always super separate. Um, and I realized, Oh no, actually they're, they can be together in the same process and the same, you know, photo shoot. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Yeah. Um, I would recommend Amy Touchette. She is a friend of mine and an incredibly talented photographer. Um, I just love her. She does street portraiture. Um, very much in line with like a Diane Arbus, mm -hmm. but just her own take, you know, um, it's very personal and sympathetic. Well, that's maybe not the right word, but, but she, it's empathetic. I think her work is really empathetic. Um, she does, she does work with the, uh, it's all film based, but she does some stuff that's on the iPhone and she has a great Instagram account. And what I love about her work is that 
she really, it, it's not just about the images that she's getting, but it's about how she's challenging herself with uh, overcoming fear. Um, because, you know, she's doing work on the street, mostly in New York. It's really, if you've ever done that kind of work, you know, it's about like having the guts to take the picture Mm -hmm. and not just letting the moment go by. And I really see that, that that's a big part of her practice. And, um, and just uh, the, the images are amazing. Her, her Instagram account, which is all the iPhone photos are, she calls it street dailies and it's just pictures she takes on the street with her iPhone, but it's all pictures mostly where she gets people to look at her. And I know that she doesn't ask people to do pictures, which is, you know, nowadays Mm. it's like, there's like a, it's kind of a no, no thing. And actually I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Like I, I like to ask people, but then again, I don't really do street work like this, but hers is all about, I think she, she, you know, she has like a, on a nonverbal communication with them, but the pictures are amazing. I mean, she goes through, you know, Hasidic Williamsburg taking pictures of like little kids and ladies that I would never dream of doing because (laughs) like, I mean, uh, you know, all kinds of subjects like, and it's all people that are not people that would typically be photographed. You know, they're not like the people that are, the pretty models or super stylish or something like that. They're, you know, she, she has a whole series of people, uh, um, uh, salespeople, uh, like, um, cashiers in, in convenience mm. stores. And stuff. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> but, and then she does work with uh, twin lens Rolleiflex also like uh, more film based. Okay. Well, thank you for the recommendation and thank you for making time for me today. It was, it was wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks to Rose Callahan for taking the time to appear on The Candid Frame. Find out more about Rose and her work by visiting dandyportraits.com. Remember that you continue to help TCF be a great show by just being a listener, and you can help us even more. If you've enjoyed and been inspired by this year's seasons of episodes, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps our ranking as well as helps spread the word. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more, or anything in between on a monthly basis and help make a big difference to the work that we're doing here at TCF. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and The Candid Frame website. Thanks to Paul Yan for his recent contributions. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.